Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Buja. Joining me, like you do and like you will from now on, I do believe, is the one and only Matt Marchetti. Matt, uh, second weekend, sophomore episode. How, how you feeling? I'm feeling I'm feeling fit. I'm feeling sexy. I mean, as sexy as a 33-year-old white man can feel. <laughs> and, uh, well, your voice yeah, is I'm very ready sexy. To, I'm ready to talk. Oh, well, I know. I, I, you know, it's funny. I was actually, typically, whenever I think about hearing my voice, I always imagine it as this, come on, let's talk about movies. <laughs> and I actually was pleasantly surprised to hear the playback of the first episode. And I was like, who's that? Who's that sensual sounding man? <laughs> and it was me. It was yeah. me, I guess. And, you know, I have yeah. to be modest. But... <laughs> I I hear, I Excited. since I edit these, I hear myself so much that I just am so over my own voice. So I'm like, yeah, I don't, I'm not even going to listen to I'm going to listen to this the bare minimum amount of times and then move well, on. I'm still, move. I'm still romancing myself. I'm, I'm just, I just want to, I want to see how far this goes. All yeah. Right? It's, it's the honeymoon period. All right. It's, it's, it's good. It's good. Um, Matt, this week's movie is the 2006 best foreign film winner, the lives of others directed by Florian Henkel von Donnersmark. Starring, let's try this, <laughs> Ulrich Muhe. Yeah, that's 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 what I got. Yeah, Sebastian Koch. Yeah, <laughs> and we're just gonna say Martina Gedick. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, that's, that's fine. That's fine. What is what is your experience with this uh, with this movie? Had you seen it before this? I I had. Yeah, I actually saw it. I mean, it must have been in 2006 or maybe early 2007. Um, I was still working at. Uh, in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, at Woo! the illustrious Big Lots, and uh, oh my <laughs> a couple God. of the guys, I know, I know, a Go couple Falcons. of the guys I worked with um, were big movie guys too, and they had seen this, um, I think in Worcester, so um, they were like, raving about it, loved it, and I, I think, I, I went to go see it in Worcester. I don't remember who it was with, mm-hmm. but they couldn't have been that memorable because I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I'd seen it. I'd only seen it that one that one time before, and I I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah. So it was a great experience. You know, you know when I think Academy Award winning foreign film about um, Cold War era surveillance, you know what I do not associate that with anything to do with Worcester, just nothing. Yeah, well, just, just, well, we went there. Yeah, I'm and I'm sorry. I think you're just we're just we're just hitting up the Central Mass, uh, Central Mass highways, all the big the towns bl- there. Central Mass black hole. Oh, good lord! Yeah. We went to school there, folks. It's fine. It's, he, li- yeah. he still lives there. It's or, fine. It's, it's fine. Steve. Everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I I had seen this a couple years later. I ne- I never caught it on. Uh, I didn't catch it in the theaters. So would have loved to have done that. And I remember when it was announced that night, having no idea what what movie this is, and this is some crap. And we'll talk about why I thought that was some crap in the next section. Oh yeah. But needless to say, I saw this movie and I was mesmerized. So I, I guess it's a little bit of a spoiler alert. I will say that I, at one point with my uh, current movie site called Same Night Movie Review, which is not that current anymore, I conducted a made a list of top 10 movies of the first decade of the 2000s and this was actually on it wow um but that was that was many years ago it was a younger version of me and we will discuss in depth uh how it has fared since then Mm. and so we are going to take a also very very brief break i know it's a very short act and we come back we will discuss the 2006 best foreign film Voice Foreign Language Film uh, Academy Award and all of the hoopla and shenanigans that went on. Oh my god. <laughs> Stick around. I was oh, I yeah. was already crying after John Atola's film and I, I thank you Academy members from the bottom of my heart for this honor. And I thank Michael and Tom from Sony Classics for choosing the lives of others and and bringing it to you. I thank Germany and Bavaria for making this film possible. My my great department heads for making this film with me. Schwarzenegger for teaching me that the words I can't should be stricken from my vocabulary. <laughs> uh, 
um, and my entire crew. I thank my producers, commissioning editors, uh, distributors, financiers. Um, I thank um, my brother Sebastian for helping with the script and Frau Bamba for believing in me. But most of all, I thank my actors, especially Ulrich and Sebastian. You're the greatest artists and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Finally, my wife, Christiana. No, I have to just say that one more thing. Just that one more thing. Christiana, I love you. <laughs> At the 79th Academy Awards, the lives of others picked up Best Foreign Language Film. It was its only win and only nomination of the evening. Actually, yeah, very, very surprising. Uh, it did. It was a big hit in its native Germany. It picked up uh, many, many of the German equivalent of the Academy Awards. Seven wins out of a record for the time. Eleven nominations. It was. Uh, it was a very big deal, especially in you know. Uh, it, I, I would assume it hit closer to home in Germany because it is about a very dark time in German in German history, but. Mm -hmm was not without a little bit of contra controversy and shall I say nerd rage that this movie won because there were some other movies nominated and let's talk about the first three and then we'll get to the fourth one and then we'll go off be all nerdy and shit so um, <laughs> Matt, freak out <laughs> yeah, Matt what else Matt, what else was uh, the lives of others up against that year uh, so the only, the one, oh, I, could, I could speak to one of them specifically, and then we'll talk about the, the fourth one, obviously, together, but okay. um, from Denmark after the wedding, which was a movie I had seen um, long after with uh, the great Mads Mikkelsen from Hannibal and lots of other things. Oh, really? Um, that oh. Was, that was, yep, it's a fantastic movie, and I, I would recommend anybody looking up his work uh, in the Danish cinema in the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, up until now. It's all just, not all, but a lot of it is excellent stuff. Um, oh. It's weird because 2006 was the year I think the world, the rest of the world was introduced to him because that's when Casino Royale came out. Was that 2006? Yep. Oh my yep. God. It was. Yeah, it was. It was, yeah. yeah. And he's been just like a mainstay ever since, but yep. I have never thought to look into his earlier work or his more European uh, Danish work. So, yep. ah. I would recommend After the Wedding. And pretty okay. much, if you like him, I would recommend pretty much anything he's done. I mean, oh, he's just... He's, he's fantastic. He's so good. Yep. Uh, so there was After the Wedding from Denmark, uh, Days of Glory from Algeria, uh, in, and then... In, uh, Indigenous? Indigenous? Yeah. Which was which was a movie I, that had a lot some heat on it. I remember it had some buzz. Uh, I, I hear nothing but good things, but uh, have not seen myself. Yeah, that's the, yes, the World War Two one, right? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I had seen that either. And then um, the third one, before we get to the the anger, was uh, the movie Water from Canada in Hindi. Was, yeah, which in is Hindi. a really interesting combination, right? That's not one you normally associate with anything, really. No, yeah. no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, sure enough, so sure those I'm sure those are all fine movies. You say after the wedding is good, I'm going to yeah, believe absolutely. you. But there was another movie yeah, that just a was nominated. Just a, just a, there's a, a tiny, tiny little, it's a tiny little movie. Just tiny little movie. a tiny little movie that was nominated. Uh, remind me again what that was called. I think it was called Pan's Labyrinth. I think it's it's it, it escapes me because it wasn't yeah. that great. But I think Pan's Labyrinth. If I'm saying that correctly, I don't know. <laughs> Labby Rintta? It's uh, yeah, uh, yeah, something, something like it. it's Pan's Labyrinth, Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro. A great and harrowing look at the Spanish Civil War and the effects it has on a young girl and uh, a a very standard a la Spirited Away girl retreats into a fantasy or is it a fantasy world to deal with the just horrible realities that she faces on a day to day basis. <laughs> the movie itself was actually a very it was a big winner that night. Uh, it won three additional Academy Awards: uh, Best Cinematography, Art Direction, and Makeup. And if you've ever seen a Guillermo del Toro film, you're like, <laughs> oh, he he brings his he brings his game on that. Uh, yeah, the, that's uh, his yeah, the costume design, the the pale man alone with the, the great Doug Jones in there is just it's out of sight. It's uh, it's a beautiful looking film. And since it is by the great Guillermo del Toro, who did uh, just a stunning gothic horror movie called The Devil's Backbone, I just 
adore that movie. And you know what? I love Blade Two. I'm going to defend Blade Two till my dying day. I love that movie yeah. so much. If you're looking for an antagonist to this argument, you've got the wrong guy because uh, <laughs> wrong guy. Wesley Snipes vampires. I'm into it. So. <laughs> But he, he's done a, he's done a lot of great stuff. He has not won yet, and when you are twenty three years old, just out of film school, and Pan's Labyrinth is up for best foreign language film, obviously you're thinking it's going to win, and so yep. you get very mad at the lives of other when you're like, "What is this Academy Awards <laughs> Oscar bait bullshit that they got going on in this German movie?" And then you and you carry that around for years and years until you actually see the movie that won and kind of kind of mellow out. But right, <laughs> I I I just had to believe this was a very very close race. Um, there I think there's there's probably some there's probably I I haven't seen Pan's Labyrinth in a while. I was hoping to catch it before we recorded this episode and ran out of time. Uh, unfortunately, um, I think as I think. It's a look, for me at least, it's, it's about ages. When I was younger, Pan's Labyrinth was all about it because I guess I was, you know, a bit angrier, uh, a, bit, a bit more wanting to retreat into fantasy. Yeah. But uh, as I grow up, the, the morality that is on play and just the, the, the realism that uh, Donnerschmark handles in the lives of others, I find I relate to far more than the uh than pan's labyrinth yeah uh now again it's been it's been years and years since i've seen pan's labyrinth so i don't want to comment on it because that's 34 year old me going up against 23 year old me and i like to think 34 year old me would kick my younger version's ass but um uh i do i do i do think that i do that they're just but they're very they're both good movies yes they're, they're both good movies and if either one, I think if Pan's Labyrinth won, I think it would everyone would be great about it. But then we would all forget about the lives of others. And uh, it's an unfortunate thing that a lot of the times the reason we talk about these movies that won Best Picture is simply because they won Best Picture. Do you think anyone would ever watch the movie Marty or The Greatest Show on Earth if it didn't win Best Picture? I know I wouldn't, but I have to. I'm like contractually obligated to do so. I'm not actually. It's there's no. I'm not actually getting paid for any of this. But still, we talk about shadowy men with suitcases and suits behind us, pointing guns at our heads to make sure we watch them. (laughs) But still, but it's it's very much worth pointing out that the you know there are roughly a hundred fifty some odd movies that have been titled the best, whether they're regular or foreign language, and that is a reason to be talked about is that somebody at some point decided that hey these are these are the best and something about the lives of others in 2006 made an impact even Mm -hmm. if um pan's labyrinth itself was uh, a phenomenal and technically brilliant movie Mm -hmm. strange but i but i i do think pan's labyrinth probably gets talked about more because guillermo del toro is a sort of a geek god i would say so i really didn't like crimson peak and pacific rim was so so, but uh, I think he's. Does he have some horror movie coming up again? Like I don't, I don't even know what he's up to anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure he does. He always, I always feel like he's got something in the pipe. He just likes to keep it kind of going. Yeah. Um, he's got something in the pipe that will inevitably get canceled. Probably. Yeah, yeah. It'll be too dark, and then he'll make something silly, and everyone will be like, "Why don't you make dark films?" And he's like, "I'm trying. <laughs> he won't let me do this." <laughs> Big teddy bear of a man he is. Oh, he's. Such a, such a, but speaking of horror movies, there were some notable 2006 horror films you wanted to give a shout out to. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I mean, I just uh, the reason I wanted to just add this quickly was because that that's kind of my 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 thing. Horror films, particularly over kind of anything, um, for a lot of reasons, and tends to be what I focus a lot on on my um, my Instagram reviews. So I just thought it'd be neat to just bring a little bit of my flavor, so to speak. Um, Absolutely. So some of these are, well, at least one of them is ironic. The others are just recommendations for anybody out there that might like this stuff. So, so I've got a few notables from, from uh, 2006. So okay. something like the movie Slither by James Gunn, which is um, something that deserves revisiting, particularly if you like Guardians of the Galaxy and some of the more recent stuff he has done. It's a fantastic 
hilarious riff on um, alien invasions and zombie movies, and it's just a hell of a lot of fun. Um, speaking of foreign films, uh, there's a movie from South Korea from 2006 called The Host. It's oh, a fantastic yeah. monster flick that's just I, always has stuck with me. I love it. Um, it's just great technical film, but a really interesting story and a really cool, uh, unique monster in a lot of ways. Um, a couple of the other ones really quick. I, I really love the uh, remake of The Hills Have Eyes from 2006. I always thought the Wes Craven original was a little um, slapdash, uh, much like The Last House on the Left from 1972. Um, there's a, an American film, which I, I love dearly, um, called Hatchet. That's kind of a return to slasher wow. films in the 80s. It's very gory and, and hilarious, from my perspective. Right. That, <laughs> Some that was 2006? Why did I think that was? Why yeah. did I think that was like later? Oh God! No, when when the, did we get old? We got old. We got happened. old, man. The, the cool thing about Hatchet, just as a little piece of trivia, was that yeah, I, I always remember it's from 2006. It was released in 2006 because it was the last movie filmed in New Orleans before Hurricane Katrina, which is oh. funny that it was this schlocky, cheap um, <laughs> slasher film. But I, I just love it. Um, and then the other two are uh, there's a French movie called Them that's a really great home invasion flick, and then. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. And then a really fantastic kind of um, mockumentary slash narrative slasher film called Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. That's about a documentary crew following around a guy who claims to be the next, like, Michael Myers, the next Jason Voorhees. And it's, it is so absolutely hilarious. And I would be remiss if I didn't also... Uh, throw out there, of course, Nicolas Cage in, in The Wicker Man, which is, has given so much joy to us in these in these 11 years. <laughs> yes. But, um, audience, for those who don't know uh, Matt, his wife, Steph, is <laughs> the biggest unabashed, unironic Nicolas Cage fan I have ever seen. She yeah. loves him. And rightfully so. He's He's a, he's a dare I say national treasure. <laughs> <laughs> he's something. He's yeah. he's something. <laughs> he he is uh you know he he's an actor. He is sorry, thing, yeah. sorry, he's he's Academy Award winning actor Nicholas Cage. Yes, that's the scary. <laughs> Speaking about horror movies, that's horrifying. Oh my God. What were they doing in 95, man? That was oh, crazy. No, no. <laughs> And on and on that note, we're gonna have to uh, not talk about the Wicker Man. Although we could have yes. an entire podcast just devoted to Nicolas Cage. Oh my God, I'm writing that one down. <laughs> we're going to take a, another another short break. When we come back, we will uh, get into discussing the lives of others. Uh, well, the story you wanted to tell was what? It was uh, the story of an ideologue who somehow loses faith in his ideology. That was actually what I wanted to tell, because uh, I somehow thought that ideology was the big topic of the 20th century, and actually continues to be. I remember in, on, on, on the 31st of December, 1999, uh, going into the new year, I thought, wow, you know, looking back on this, on this century, this was the century of ideology, and I'm so glad it's over. Um, but then, uh, a few years later, it became clear that the 21st century was going to be about ideology, too. So I really felt that this was a relevant uh, topic. And um, it all came from, from a quote by Vladimir Lenin, who had said to, uh, to his friend Maxim Gorky, I, I don't want to listen to my favorite piece of music, the Appassionata, anymore, because when I do... It makes me want to stroke people's heads and tell them yeah. gentle, sweet, nice things. But I have to smash in those heads, crush them without mercy uh, to finish my revolution. And I thought... He said Beethoven softens me. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> you know the original <laughs> quote. Uh, that's, um, it's, uh, but it was just, to me, that was one of, those, one of those statements that really contained all the glory and all the baseness of mankind. Because in a way, you know, it is something great to think that we could create art that would really have an impact on people so as to make them s refrain from doing terrible things. But somehow it also contained uh, such a message of terror that a man could be so cold as to say, look, I, this makes me feel that way. Well, then I'm not going to listen to it. Hey, Matt, for those who have not seen The Lives of Others, which it's very possible that, dear listener, you have not, which is fine. What, what is this movie about? What's, what's happening? Give us a plot summary. Sure. Yeah, no, I've, uh, you can kind of narrow it down 
pretty quickly. So it's 1984, East Berlin. Um, the main character is an agent of the secret police or the Stasi. He's uh, surveilling this uh, writer and his kind of girlfriend. And uh, as he is continuing his surveillance of these people, he becomes really, um, I don't know, obsessed, absorbed in their lives and in trying to figure out what that means to him. I guess if that makes sense. That uh, sums it, that sums up the first act beautifully. It takes a lot of not necessarily twists and turns from there, but it's uh, an example of what I believe a uh, good friend of the show, Shahir Dowd, who also co-hosts a, another podcast called The Only Podcast About Movies, would call the um, writing is not, uh, story-wise is not this happens and then this happens. It is this happens and therefore this happens, as this mm. is a movie that builds on itself and all mm. of its little bits and pieces Everything sort of fits together like a very nice puzzle. And, you know, it calls back, you know, things get called back, things come up, and everything is sort of relevant. There's not a lot of wasted space or frames in this film. And that's why it's, um, that's why I do believe this absolutely deserved uh, best foreign language film. But perhaps a discussion of this, we will, uh, we will perhaps. Change or change each other's minds because change is actually uh, one of the biggest bits of this of this movie. Um, the the Stasi the Stasi operative who is very who is very much a company man. He is he believes in uh, Soviet socialism so much. He he he's all he's all about it. He's a master interrogator. He's an excellent sur- uh, surveillance guy. But his faith is shaken mm-hmm. when he essentially learns that. Uh, the reason for this entire this entire setup, this entire uh, listening operation, is because of uh, basically a romantic jealousy that a high-ranking party official has for the writer's wife, and he mm. kind of starts having a crisis of faith. He doesn't know really where his loyalties are, mm-hmm. and he starts. He begins to change, and I, for one, absolutely believe that people can change, and especially in movies. I love I love seeing that. Um, Matt, what about you? Uh, I believe that was a a subject you wanted to bring up especially yeah no i mean uh, i think early on the toad-like minister um hemp i think is his last name he's the, the, so. the high-ranking politician you're referring to tells um one of the main characters the writer uh dryman georg dryman that people cannot change and the second he said that i said well i gotta have to analyze this a little bit because obviously <laughs> yeah. at this point people are going to change and we're going to figure out what that means and i would agree with you wholeheartedly that i mean i'm a i'm a teacher so i have to assume people can change uh, i just feel like that's in our nature um but i, I do I, I think in in real life on real life not that teaching teaching's not real life everybody <laughs> yeah. but in in life in general we can we can change and i certainly agree with your your point that in movies um a character arc that is really dynamic uh, can be one of the most interesting and exciting parts of a film watching a character change and watching an actor kind of affect that change um, that could be one of the most exciting bits, and I think that is probably one of the most exciting parts about watching this film. I would I would argue, uh, the character changes. Yeah, and the character changes in a way that is he doesn't. They're not like showy montage scenes. Mm. There's not a, like a speech about w- like what he's hoping to do. It's just very subtle. It's a very well written piece that is. You can say it feels arty farty and smart and whatnot but it's still very understandable you watch it and you go oh i understand why this person is doing this it's because of this Mm -hmm. this thing that happened before and it's Mm -hmm. um it doesn't i very much appreciate a film that doesn't hold your hand and have to over explain everything it's it's the lives of others definitely appreciates that you are an intelligent human being you're here watching a foreign language film for the Mm -hmm. for for god's sake and it will just it will it's going to tell its story without having to talk down to you, which um, which is ref- it's just very refreshing. Yes, it <laughs> is. Yeah, it, it feel like we're getting it just less and less these days. Yeah. So uh, one of the things I love about the film is <coughs> it's the morality at play here. It's there's no it's like Germany, like the Cold War itself. There's no nobody is all good nobody's all bad people do the right thing for the wrong reasons they do the wrong thing for the right reasons <laughs> and 
what I love is the notion of consequence is that no good deed goes unpunished and no bad deed goes uh, unrewarded, it seems, because uh, several times, Weasler, the uh, the main character, uh, he does a lot. He does like, he does like what you think is the right thing mm. for us where we're living. But then when you think of where they, they are, the morality is changing. And I'm always mm-hmm. fascinated by seeing a world that doesn't operate on the same rules where, you know, because here, like, you don't want to, you know, surveillance is bad. You want to, you just generally want to be a good person. But there, like, you're like, kind of rewarded for. Yeah. Yeah. For snitching, for, uh, for like, observing and just, like, prying into people's lives. And it's, uh, it's fascinating. <laughs> it's a fascinating thing. Like, he, um, he takes he takes a val uh, he takes a val he takes a valuable thing from the apartment and it ends up killing somebody <laughs> because yep. because of his act he's he was doing the, he was doing the right thing he was doing it to save somebody but because of that somebody else died and it's yeah it's uh, it's incredible it's I think it's it's incredible so it is yeah that and uh, Weasler you know he's this he changes from an observer. To sort of an not a, not necessarily an active participant, but he participates. Mm-hmm. He, he becomes the unseen instrument of everyone's demise, including ultimately him, himself, himself. And he is not ever rewarded until the very the very last line of the, oh. of the movie. Which... Oh. I feel it. I feels it in the feels that that ending. <laughs> oh. Uh. oh, yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about the ending. I think a lesser movie would have ended. Right when, um, spoiler alert, when Krista, the girlfriend, died, and everybody walks away, mm-hmm. and it's just you have this sense of all these good things that you try to do are just lead to this, yep, and done. so you shouldn't you shouldn't do them. But the movie, conti- but the movie continues on. It's about Shakespeare. Yes, the movie continues on. How does it continue? Uh, so the the then this is something I would I agreed with I agree with 100%. The the final like 20 minutes or so, um, focus in on the kind of post um, post Berlin Wall fall and everything that goes on with um, with Weasler and and what happens to him his demotion and I love the the turnaround in the um, in the narrative that it becomes a little bit that that Dryman is surveilling Weasler in a few scenes. And I think that that's really interesting. And he, and he sees him as this kind of broken man. And the, 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 the film takes these huge jumps in time. It'll go, you know, two years and then four years. And I think it's another two years. So at this point, we're in the early nineties, maybe 93 or 94. And, um, you might've talked about the ending specifically. I can really get into it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, while we're here. So, so, and we can come back to some of these these themes. But uh, one of the ongoing pieces uh, throughout the film is this idea of uh, a good man. What makes a good man? And um, Dryman, who's the writer, um, ends up writing a book called "Isn't it just a sonata for a good man?" Right? Sonata for a good man. It's based on yeah. a, a piece of music that yep. a friend of his who committed suicide uh, gave to him, I believe. Such a happy film. We watched those. <laughs> so, <laughs> so great. So, so he he writes this book, and and Weasler sees it in a in a bookstore, which um, catches attention. He he goes in to look at it, and in the dedication section, uh, it is it is dedicated to his uh, code name, his operative code name, because we see Dryman figure all this information out. He looks through the records of all the surveillance and realizes that this guy did him a solid in many ways. Even though, as as Steve, you were you were talking about, there are some really negative and tragic things that happen in the end he knew he was kind of looking out for him. And right. I believe I might be misquoting the, the final piece, but the, the guy at the, the, the clerk at the bookstore asks him if he wants a gift wrap gift wrapped. And, and Weasler tells him, no, this is for me. Yeah. Like, like, like it's his. And I just yeah. was like, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't cry and I cry a lot in movies, but I thought it was just a perfect way to end the movie and to end his character kind of arc. I just right. thought it was, it's just beautiful. It just works so well. Yeah. It's saying, you know, it's saying that, I know things. I know things were bad, but you helped you me. Yeah, yeah. You, you helped. Yeah. And, and there was a, and, uh, on that. There was this great scene where uh, one of the things I didn't appreciate uh, when I first saw this is that Weasler, <clears throat> and he's he's lying to the to the Stasi the entire time, and he essentially mm-hmm. he essentially becomes uh, he becomes a he becomes an author. He creates this mm-hmm. fabrication 
he creates he writes an entire play yep. of celebrating the 40th anniversary yeah. of just great it's of, so good of of the of, since the end of, of the founding of the gdr yeah and you're like i'm like oh so he's like and you contrast that with like the way his life is he has a very very empty solitary life Spartan, he's, yeah. Spartan. he hires a prostitute for you know companionship and really all he does is it's it's a release but it's also an act of crying and but here yeah. he in this in this author this, this playwright who is full of passion for life for his country even and his girlfriend he finds some way to express himself in a way that he never could and he become he stops just transcribing and he starts creating and I, I i think i think the create the creativity the power of creativity and art to help change opinions uh is a great theme in the movie and it's a it's a universal one that can that really can like it can bring down it helps bring down the berlin wall so yeah um acting wise i'm always uh i'm always it feels odd for me to comment on foreign film actors because <laughs> there's just like i am still it's just there's a, there's always there's always going to be disconnect because i'm yeah. reading they're they're saying something else but um man uh Muha, he uh yeah. he I, no there's an umlaut there i don't know what an umlaut sounds <laughs> so he uh he kills it and uh, not not only oh. that he he brings certainly some personal um experience with this as it was revealed that he discovered that his wife was actually a Stasi informant yeah. for years and denied it to the day she died. Crazy. And there was a lawsuit too. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a lawsuit. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think he and uh, the director, Donnersmark had to, they actually lost the lawsuit. They had to settle. Really? I remember reading that. Yeah. So it, it was, it got pretty real, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, what do you, uh, what did you think of the, of the, of the actors in this movie? Oh, I mean, the that I the two well, I mean the three standouts. I mean, were were the three leads. I thought all three leads were great in their own way, and 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 the contrast they bring to it were great. So, so um, Ulrich Muhe was was just so good as Weasler. I was so just immediately into his performance. He's he's calculated. He seems very cold, but you know there's a reason behind it. That opening scene that flashes back and forth between an interrogation and him in uh, oh. in a schoolroom was just handled so well. I just loved all the every line of dialogue. He was he's just so on and I just love his kind of mechanical way of doing things. Even he walks he walks with his arms down. He all everything is done in the same way every single time. But you know, in the scene you referenced earlier with the, with the the call girl, he feels very alone. He's very lonely. He, there's no family. There's no children that we see, and he he wants a, he wants connection to some people, and he he finds it in these two very warm, passionate people. And and likewise, they're really warm and kind of passionate performances from Martina Gedek as as Krista Maria and uh, Sebastian Koch as as Jörg Dreimann. They're both just so good in their own ways too, and I, I don't think I appreciated um, either of their performances as much until the movie kind of progressed into the second and third acts, particularly because I mean because um, Muhe is so good as Weasler. I, I just yeah. kind of they kind of get drowned out a little bit, and and he's kind of the lead, but eventually the narrative shifts as you've been talking about, and and they're kind of. Um, warm, kind of loving life gets torn apart in a lot of different ways that we've discussed a little bit on. I don't want to say too much about it, but um, I mean, as much as I loved Ulrich Muhe's performance as Weasel, I feel like Martina Gedek probably didn't get as much... Well, she did get acclaim in Germany, but I, I feel like I was really trying to look into her character and how well she played it, because it's easy to look at her and think you kind of want to hiss at her a little bit for some of the decisions she makes, right. but you have to also think that you know, she's one of like the three female characters in the movie. One of which is a is a prostitute. The other which is is poor, and I'm just gonna say Mrs. Meineke because that's what her name was. It wasn't <laughs> pronounced that way. But she's immediately shushed away. This poor woman who's just trying to look out for her neighbor. She's immediately shushed away. So in a movie where women are very subverted, and in a, in a era and in a place where women were very subverted, I liked that she was kind of open. She was warm. 
and she really didn't care to a lot of degrees what people thought about her. And I, I thought that was kind of a, there was a bravery in what she was doing and her um, and I just thought it was great. I just thought it really balanced it out really well. Yeah, yeah. She um, she had a different uh weight to carry than mm. than the other two. Clearly, just by virtue of being a woman in uh, in East in Germany at the time, that's uh, not a life I would wish for uh, just anybody, really. Uh, yep. Yeah, because she has to deal with the advances of uh, of Hemp, who looks exactly like he sounds. Really, yep, when you think toad. about it, <laughs> totally a, a sniveling, a sniveling toad. Yeah, and also just you know, she she's the one who. Uh, who the, the the I guess the the burden is finally on you know it's it's the one that she's the one who gets crushed by it because she's the one who yes. is get she gets caught by she gets brought in by the Stasi. There's this great scene, which is the second the, the second scene between her and um, her and Weasler, where he's interrogating her, and, but she mm-hmm. doesn't remember who who he is but he and he's mm-hmm. he's dropping these lines that he used at all these hints other, yeah oh that's just brilliant and just, you're just like i want you to recognize him but at the same time i don't because then you'll just give the game away yeah and it's it's yeah it's just so brilliant and i you know as, as you were as you were as you were talking i, I realized wait no oh, wait a minute no these three characters feel so connected and yet they share almost no time together whatsoever yep. there's um mm-hmm. i don't think he ever Weezer never interacts with Dryman at all. Nope, not that no, not nope. And he interacts with Krista once during that interrogation. Another time in this just absolutely just this, that this wonderful scene in a bar where yeah he walk he walks up to her <coughs> and she's trying to like brush him off because she's just having a bad night for good reason. But he just gives her this great speech about the, how the audience you know knows you and loves you and it, you are your own person and you don't have to whatever it is you think you have to do you don't have to do and then you know he he helps he helps fix their uh, he helps fix Dryman and her's relationship and it's just yeah. like and you really and he, he then starts to realize he has this like small bit of influence and this power and he he can affect their lives in a way that uh, like it's not even a not even a friend could do for instance they're talking about trying to you know they're trying to figure out uh, if the place is bugged or not and it's, it's totally bugged and he just he lets he lets the plan go through to be like hey yeah. you know this time you're fine you're fine but you know, I'll get you, get you yeah. next time and you you feel this connection between these characters and yet they never barely they barely they barely speak at all and you yeah. and when uh when at the end when Dryman finds Weasler and Weasler just walking you you so want them to talk but at the same I time I know just, oh. like just just like go up and say hello just shake his hand but the ending we get is just so much more powerful than, than yes that. it is I, yeah you know just like we sort of becomes uh he starts off as a stasi stasi tool and becomes a, basically a guardian angel to, to this mm-hmm. guy and it's uh it's just fascinating and heartbreaking just so it's unrequited love at its finest i think yeah it really was yeah it really was so uh matt what what year does this uh does this movie take place in or, or initially initially Starts in 1984, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. I think there was a book like that, right? There was. There <laughs> yeah. was. You're right. I actually, yeah. I'd actually just finished reading it. Brilliant read, by the way. I hadn't. I've never read it before. Terrible. Oh. A terrible English major. But um, I, I don't think that year was, just randomly because, oh man, there is so there is so much. Uh, there are so many comparisons here. It's yeah. I mean, it's never funny because it's nineteen. You don't want to compare yourself to nineteen eighty four because it's generally just a very bleak and depressing book. Yeah. Surveillance. They had. They said at the beginning they had a hundred thousand Stasi officers and two hundred thousand informants. You just never knew who was gonna, who was like a a member of the party, uh, like just gonna be looking out for themselves and just waiting to tattle on you. They're just all the surveillance. They. The only reason they start surveilling uh, Dryman, and it's actually it's actually um, it's Weasler's idea, is because 
well, he's an artist, so clearly he must be up to yeah. something. Or they don't have any, there's no real basis for it. They just want to find some no. crap on him. Yep. To break up this break this relationship. It's Yep. So disturbing. It's really so disturbing. disturbing. It's it's so it's so, shall we say, Orwellian. I guess it is Orwellian, yeah. Literally the literally the exact term. You have any other thoughts you want to add, you want to add to this and to anything at all? Um, I mean, just on the, a technical side, I, whenever I see it, particularly a foreign movie that is um, over the two hour mark, I get a little like, ugh. Not that I'm, I, my attention's fine, but it, it just can feel like a little overdone sometimes. And I will say, this movie was what two hours and seventeen, two hours and eighteen minutes. It did not, for me, feel that long. It, it, it. I thought it was paced very well, particularly for a movie that doesn't really revolve around, you know, these big grand moments like we talked about, uh, these kind of action sequences or anything like that. I thought it was paced well. I thought it was edited really well. And I think this is all testament to a really, really, really well constructed film. And your your piece about how the characters don't even really interact, and we still feel like they interact, showcases that. Um, these are filmmakers of a really high caliber, uh, and I, I would I would say this movie really shows filmmaking of a really high caliber yeah. too. But um, um, but as a follow up, what did what was the Donner Smarks next movie after this one? Remind me again. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. It was very the, bad. He directed The Tourist with Johnny Depp and yes. uh, Angelina Jolie, and it was terrible. It was not good, yeah, not good at all. Yeah, you know, it was a bad script. I feel, I feel like there were some technical things that I appreciated, but oh god, that movie was. It was so pretty. It's a pretty movie. It's boring. But, but yeah, technically, technically speaking, this movie, it's paced very well, and it's not, and it's not even like big moments. It's there's a lot of there's a lot of a dude sitting there listening to things happen mm-hmm. elsewhere, mm-hmm. It's, and it's a foreign film, so there's a lot of talking, but. Everyone is charismatic enough. Oh, they're there's so a, good. There's yeah. an energy to it. You know, they're just they're just zipping off the lines. Uh, it, it it feels great. It's a technically uh, wonderful, wonderful film. And I cannot yeah. uh, can't, can't stress stress it enough. It's great. So, um, Matt Marchetti, we are approaching the approaching the end of this. <sighs> Do you find any relevance in the lives of others for? today's world i i, I do i'm I'm, lo- <laughs> I'm losing a little bit on the sound but i, I oh, think i know okay. the question is, is the movie still relevant basically or do i find it still relevant yes. is that we're asking yes yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah um i i definitely do so one i mean one is maybe more obvious than the others and i don't want to get i don't want to get super political because we hear about it all the time but there was a moment where I think Dryman is, is speaking to his friend Hauser, or they're talking. No, it's it's um, it's Krista Krista and is talking to Dryman about how Hauser, who's Dryman's friend, and a lecturer, a teacher, cannot leave to uh, lecture in the West. And there's a they literally talk about an immigration or a travel ban. And of course, the first thing I think of is the stuff that's going on in politics right now. And it felt the same way. And I, I recall hearing stories about teachers not being able to. Um, come to the U.S. from all these different countries and vice versa. So it was, I thought that was very um, on the nose for today. But the, the piece that I really thought was interesting was that we talked about Weisler and his Spartan existence and how he lives vicariously through through Dryman and, and uh, Krista particularly, um, which made me think entirely about this kind of social media obsession people have and how we like to kind of think we're more important because of the people we follow on Facebook and Instagram and all these social media sites, because our own lives aren't fulfilling enough, or we don't think they're fulfilling enough. We need to glom on to these other people to make them more fulfilling. And it's really sad. And I, when I saw Weasler's sadness, of course, it's very contextual to the stuff that was going on in Germany in 1984. I felt that, that idea of that, that social media sadness that I see in a lot of people Particularly, again, as a teacher, I see it in a lot of young people that they're they're always concerned with other people are posting. They don't have anything else going on, so they're just, oh, well, right. what about what are the Kardashians doing or what are these people doing? And it just it just depressed it depressed me in the movie, and it depresses me almost every day I go in to teach. <laughs> so I was I appreciated the connection, but I, it made me sad. It made me really no. sad. <laughs> I had I had not thought of that, but it does give new context to just the title itself, "The Lives of Others." You know, we. Right. 
are so obsessed with that. Um, you know, I believe uh, what's the quote? Everyone, you know, on Facebook, we're comparing our uh, dress rehearsal to everyone's opening night or something like that because we yep. only you because you only get the good stuff of everyone right. else, but you are stuck with your own perhaps boring, boring normal, normal, normal normal existence and yep you know so when you are listening to a playwright you know talking you know talking with his friends about concepts you might never never entertain even entertain you are taken away and enraptured uh, certainly yep so, did this film the lives of others deserve best foreign film that year <sighs> I feel like we kind of answered it a little bit. I mean, so I, I, I'll speak to this quickly. I feel like on the surface, it feels like it feels like really typical Oscar bait, right? It's a historical moment. It's not a biopic, but it feels kind of like it could fit into that mold really easily. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I feel like that's something that when you start watching the film almost melts away entirely because one thing I really loved about it was they, they, the, the historical moments were almost incidental to the plot going on. It could have taken place in some sort of futuristic world, and I think the story still would have been effective. Um, they weren't so wrapped around the historical pieces that they took over the movie. It was more about the characters, and we've talked about that. Mm -hmm. So I think that had it working against it. Of course, the Pan's Labyrinth piece, which we discussed, um, I think I would have been happy either way. But watching it again... I think there's enough complexity and enough connections uh, you can make to 2017 that it holds up. And that, to me, that's that's the sign of a great film. Um, I enjoyed it. I was entertained. It was thought provoking. The performances were good. Um, I would say that, yes, it deserves with the caveat that so did Pan's Labyrinth in many ways. Right. I know that's kind of cheating the system, but I'm going to do it. Right. There have been the occasional ties uh, in Oscar history, only I think only for acting, never for never for a, a picture of some kind. But yes, I will say that this film deserved best picture, and I I, I definitely say that as someone who was hell bent on Pan's Labyrinth winning because that would have been amazing. But then later saw this and thought, oh my god, this movie mm -hmm. is very very it's incredible, and I I think. The, like I, I believe I said last last week, the best films can resonate throughout throughout any age, and the lives of others has something to teach us. I mean, certainly about uh, the times we're living in, where you know people aren't uh, we aren't trusting one another anymore, right. and we're right. all all this stuff and history is a, is a is a great indicator. So yes, I think it deserved best foreign film. If we if we were here talking about Pan's Labyrinth though, I would be okay with that as well. So if we could yeah. go if we go back in time, we'd give it a tie. I don't. I'd, I mean, I you you probably also make the case that Pan's Labyrinth could have been nominated for Best Picture in two thousand six as well. Yes, and that would have been kind of kind of great for that. Yes, would agree. So um, ultimately, I think history. I I hope that history will rediscover this movie which is weird to say because it won best picture best foreign foreign language film i hope the history will rediscover it and go you yeah. know what this movie absolutely deserved this award because yeah it is a great piece of storytelling it's just a great way to show how you know, if you have a good if you have a great script you can make a great movie um which and it, again is no knock on pan's labyrinth i just haven't seen it in a while Lives of others absolutely deserve that. Okay, but speaking of Oscar bait, I believe they love romances and they love historical events. And next <laughs> week, Matt, next week, there's the 105th anniversary of a particular event, and that is the sinking yeah, of the I Titanic. Know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so we are going to discuss the 1997 juggernaut. Best picture oh. winner, James Cameron's Titanic with Kate oh, and yeah. Leo. King of the world and all that all that good stuff. And I believe, Matt, it's your first time watching it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I very, very loudly and publicly boycotted this film for very long. Not because I thought it didn't have merits as a film, just because I didn't want to see the damn thing. And 
<laughs> and you know what? I'm actually very excited to watch it. I'm very, very excited to watch it for the first time. Okay. I th- I th- Pumped. Yeah, I think we might need to bring your, your wife on, too. Just just give me a heads up. She should watch it with you. I'd be fascinated. I, th- I think she's going to be in Las Vegas, but uh, you know what? I can, okay. I'm sure she's got her opinions on it, so I can always write them down, and I can read them and maybe try to sound like her. I don't know. Maybe okay. that'll be fun. All right. That, all right that'll work. Um, anyways, uh, Titanic is next week. Matt, where can people find you online if they want to check you out? Yeah, so uh, again, inst- Instagram is the Instagram is the best place. Uh, as, as Steve has said before, I try to post a film review a day. Um, so my handle on Instagram is is movie underscore matinee. So the two T's in, in matinee, like my name, M A T T I N E E. Just as a sample, the last film I posted, I believe last night was was the new King Kong film. And now, um, because I only look at the best of the best. I'm reviewing in I'm doing one sentence reviews for the four Wishmaster films from the late nineties and early two thousands. I know. I know. And I'm not doing one sentence reviews to be clever. I'm doing one sentence reviews because that's all I can muster up for a few of them. So I thought it would be fun. Yeah. So yeah, you know that's me. <laughs> well you should, if you love Wishmaster, I definitely definitely check that out. You have been listening to the Oscar Watch Podcast. You can write us an email at oscarwatchpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at oscarwatchpod. And uh, all episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. We thank you for listening. We love you. You make this show possible. We appreciate all uh, all of your you spending your, your time all the millions of podcasts out there you spend it listening you spend an hour listening to ours that means so much to us it does indeed it does indeed uh it, ladies and gentlemen until next week we'll see you on the red carpet take care every breath you take Roundhouse kicks Lily Sobieski at one point in that film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know why I said I think he does. I've seen that movie like 30 times. I definitely know he roundhouse kicks he, her. He definitely does. <laughs> <laughs>